0: Hello, welcome to the episode of the Let People Prosper series. My name is Dr. Vanskin. Thank you for joining the Let People Prosper show. Today, we have a great champion of free market, libertarian, classical liberal, sort of overall a good person who is looking at challenging us on fis- good fiscal policy, good sound economics, or whether or not it exists or whether it should exist, <laughs> uh, and and what happens whenever government gets in the way too much about what we're doing uh, within the economy, what the government's doing overall. And so there's a lot to discuss, and it's it's none other than Representative Richard Nelson. Representative, thank you for joining the Let People Prosper show.
1: Yeah, oh, Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Great.
0: Yeah, good, good, good. Well, we're going to have a good discussion today. We've got a lot of good things to, to talk about. And so first, I want to go over your bio for the audience, uh, just so they have a good idea of who you are. Let's get right to it. Representative Richard Nelson represents the Mandeville area on the north shore of Lake Pontotrain um, I'm always going to have a tough time saying that. You yeah. There you go. Yes. Yeah, Yeah, Mont-a-train, yeah, no. yeah, yeah got I got it. Good, good. In the Louisiana House of Representatives, Richard grew up in Mandeville, where he was an Eagle Scout and a valedictorian at Mandeville High. He graduated in the top of his class in both biological engineering and law at LSU. Richard served for seven years in the Foreign Service of the U.S. Department of State, living in Washington, D.C., Germany, and the former Soviet Republic of Georgia. Thank you for your service. As a State Department officer, engineer, and diplomat, he managed projects and programs protecting American embassies around the world from terrorism and espionage. His time in the Foreign Service was not without adventure. Richard was shot at with rocket-propelled grenades in Afghanistan, was in Libya with Ambassador Christopher Stevens shortly before he was killed in Benghazi, and was struck by lightning in Switzerland. Wow, Uh, that's quite impressive
1: to hear some of that. Accidental Ooh. somewhat. But.
0: And then since his election to the House in 2019, Representative Nelson has championed multiple issues, especially the elimination of the income tax, which we'll talk about some today, and improving elementary school literacy, also very important. He served on the civil law, criminal justice, and retirement committees, as well as on the special committee investigating the death of Ronald Green. Richard's an engineer, attorney, and runs his own consulting company. He and his wife, Ashley, have three boys, Michael, Arthur, and Jack. They attend Christ Episcopal Church in Covington. Representative Nelson, welcome to the Let People Prosper show again. It's great to have you on. You know, one of the first questions I like to ask my guest is, you know, what makes
1: you tick? What what gives you motivation
0: to do what you do each and every day?
1: You know, my bio said I'm an engineer. I think I'm an engineer at heart. Uh, I went to law school after but those kind of, uh, you know, kind of maybe for fun, I don't know. But, yeah. uh, you know, I just see you see problems and you want to fix them. I mean, I think that's how it is. And I think engineers always kind of say, you know what's the best way we can do this i think that to me government is kind of that way it's, hey, what's the look around look at what look at what works and and let's fix it and i think in louisiana is particularly bad because if you're ranked 50 in everything that means 49 other people are doing it better than you uh 49 other states are doing it better than you so i've kind of had that experience just kind of go living all over the world then you kind of see what difference good government makes in people's lives you know you drive across a border border is kind of an invisible line. I mean, most of the time, no matter where you are, there's not a lot of difference between the people on one side of the border and the other. It's, you know, the the line came there sometime after that, or it's not that big a deal. But at the same time, it really impacts the people's lives on one side or the other. And you can see that just in America. I mean, just in Louisiana, You, know, you, you drive across the border into Texas, statistically, you get three and a half years of your life back and a 33% raise if you go from Louisiana to Texas. So it's a huge disparity when you're talking about relatively closely located geole- geographic areas. Uh, and that, so anyway, I just think that there's there's ways to fix these problems. I don't see them being fixed, and so I figured I got to do it. I think the second part of it is, one, is you recognize there's a problem, and the two, you're like, well, who else is going to fix it? You know, might as well get in the try.
0: And that's really, I guess, what you got motivated for you to get into politics and everything else? I mean, were you connected with politics much before then? No, yeah, I had
1: no connection at all. I mean, my dad was an IRS agent, but, you know, yeah. tells you I know how to be, uh, you know, my family wasn't particularly popular probably, but uh, <laughs> no, I mean, I, I had no, I, I was in the Foreign Service. I mean, it was a little you know, not really political. I mean, it's okay. living overseas and everything. And I, when I came back, though, I, I told my wife, uh, you know, if I come, ever get a chance to come back to Louisiana, then see if I can try and fix things. And so I got involved. That's great. I'm glad you did that. We
0: need more people that have that insight to say, you know what, I need to do something different. Things are not going well now. What else can I do Do different later? Um, was Was part of it, kind of what's going on nationally as well? Or was it really focused on, you know, what's happening in in Louisiana?
1: You know, I think when I was young and naive, I thought I could fix the federal government. And uh, there was a way I actually worked for the federal government. I mean, uh, honestly, I have probably a a pretty strong libertarian streak you might have picked up on. But, you know, it really didn't develop that much until I started working for the federal government that I was like, you know, I think that this is something that needs to happen. So uh, but yeah, no, honestly, I think On a, on a federal level, I think it's very difficult to fix anything. I mean, I think there's so, you know, there's 350 million people in America, you know, so many people in Congress. It's very difficult to move any. Honestly, I don't see anything positive ever happening at there at all. They spend other people's money. That's about all it is. People ask me all the time, like, do you want to run for Congress? I'm like, well, all you do in Congress is spend other people's money and that's not something I'm really uh, you know, I'm really big on. So I don't think that's really the place for me. I think though on a state level, because of you know kind of the federal system, you really can solve a lot of problems on a state level. I mean, Louisiana, if it was just average like I said, everyone would live four years longer and get a thirty three percent rate. So you can look at that and say there's answers to our problems on a state level, whether or not you can solve the federal issues are, are bigger and kind of, you know, more looming, I think. But I think for me, the focus has really shifted from when I was younger and I thought, you know, the federal government, that's what we read about in the news or hear about in the news and everything to more of like, hey, how can we actually fix things on a state level, which I think is much more possible. And, you know, the solutions are much more apparent, I think.
0: I think you're right. I mean, there's. I think it's important for the idea and the founding of America was a system of federalism, right? That sets us apart from so many other countries that are out there, where, you know, most of the power of government should be at the state level, and if not, should be with the people. Um, and too much of that has now went to the federal level. I, I served in the the Trump White House for a year and had the experience of looking at the federal budget, helping write the president's last budget. Part of what the chief economist for the Office of Management and Budget, um, which was my position, was to do all the economic that go in the president's budget over the next decade, and it's almost like throwing darts at a mat, you know at the dartboard to figure out what that's going to look like because there are so many assumptions, and, and it's not as big and as broad at the state level. But I think you're exactly right that this is important because it really can hit on the things that most affect people that are cl- the government that closest to the people governs best, right? Yeah. And so that's so so Absolutely. important.
1: Absolutely, yeah, yeah, and I think that that. I mean, that's the theme in a lot of the stuff, like trying to get rid of the income tax uh, in Louisiana is you're really trying to divest some of the power that's been concentrated in in Baton Rouge in the capital for a long time. You're trying to divest a lot of that power back to local governments to kind of solve their own problems. It's just more efficient that way. And I think that it's kind of a a little metaphor for the state, for the country in general, because we have that same issue is, Mm -hmm. you know, the federal government as a whole doesn't have any more money than all the states do collectively. And so it's kind of a fallacy where we think we're spending other people's money, you know, in running through it, running it all through this kind of federal bureaucracy. And it's just kind of a waste and it doesn't really solve all the people's problems. And that's what we see. And so I think in Louisiana, we have a very similar issue. And that's kind of what I'm trying to unwind. Some
0: people think, well, it's the federal government's money. Well, no, the federal government doesn't have money. <laughs> yeah, no, <nah, laughs> it's, either it's coming, your money. Yeah, yeah it's your money. And it's, so it's either coming out of your left pocket. Or your right pocket, or maybe one of your back pockets. If you think about, you know, local versus state versus federal. I mean, you're, you're exactly right. It's all coming out of taxpayers' pockets at the same time. Then it's a matter of, okay, do, what exactly? Uh, what are the costs? What are the burdens that are coming from those higher taxes? And so let's find the least burdensome tax that that's out there. Now, whenever you're going into, and I know you've had some bills in the past about eliminating the income tax. And um, what is your main goal? Like, what what do you see? Kind of the economics of it. Or however, you want to look at it. Um, what really got you fired up about saying, "Look, Louisiana,
1: we need to eliminate the the personal income tax." Yeah, so I think that there's kind of two two sides of the coin, right? So, your one is that you're trying to you're trying to make Louisiana competitive. We're last in almost you know almost every indicator. You know, we're within a, a few of last. So yeah. you need to do something big. You can't just say. Hey, look, we're going to create a new incentive program or some, you know, just kind of big government fiddle around the, you know, fiddle around to try and fix things. You really have to do some kind of big change in order to fix it. Uh, And so I think getting rid of the income tax is one of those big moves where you can say, look, there's only a few handful of states that don't have an income tax. If you really want to drive, you know, business and people to come here. You know, that's a strong move. And you can look across, Texas grew six times faster than Louisiana did in the last 10 years. Florida grew about the same amount. You can kind of look around the country and see the states without income tax have significantly higher growth than all these other states. Uh, So it's definitely a kind of a proven strategy to attract more people, to attract more, more business and opportunity. So that's one thing is that I think it makes us more competitive on those kind of attracting more people, more businesses. And the other side is that one of the fundamental problems, that's not why Louisiana's last. You know, that, that might would bring us up to average. Why Louisiana's last though is Huey Long in the nineteen thirties really hmm. created this system of concentrated power in Baton Rouge, where if you want anything done, whether you're a business or a local government, whether you want a street or a you know a school built, but like you basically have to go to Baton Rouge and beg for it. Uh, hmm. and that was how he set it up because he wanted to be in charge. And it's been that way for the last hundred years. And so that's really what's been holding us back for so long. And so it kind of gives us a chance to one, eliminate the income tax and kind of do some big sweeping tax changes to really put the taxing and spending power back in local governments where, you know, it's closer to the people, it's more accountable to the people. And at the end of the day, the money is more efficiently allocated to meet their needs versus, you know, and what happens is, you know, we get all this money in the state government, we build splash pads and all kinds of crazy stuff across the state. We don't actually solve the people's problems, you know. So this is one of the ways that I think we can do it. And it's really a fundamental problem here that we really need to work on. Yeah, no, I think that's right. And one of the things, if you tax
0: more something, you're going to get less, right, just breaking it down into simple terms and the economics behind it, because incentives matter. You tax people's income. There's less incentive to be productive. There's less incentive for you to go out and work harder, get higher wages, and everything else, because you're going to lose an additional amount of each one of those dollars uh, with our progressive marginal income tax system that we have at the federal level, but also in in, in Louisiana. Now, there were some key reforms that were made. What um, was uh, earlier this year or last year? Last, last year, year with those. Yeah. Last year with those fiscal reforms um, and it helped to lower those progressive rates. Um, on personal income taxes there in Louisiana um, and put in some triggers, some revenue triggers to where if it hits I think three different revenue triggers that are there. Making sure that there's some savings. Make sure you have enough revenue. Then that will bring down, you know, those personal income taxes as well. Which I, right now, from what I understand, there's an expected over seven hundred million dollar um, uh, surplus. You know, there there in Louisiana. But the question is, I guess, what's going to happen in the future with the economy and the slowdown and, and job creation and everything else? What do you think about some of those reforms
1: that happened last year? Is that is that far enough, or should we be doing more? Yeah, I mean, I think it's positive. At the same time, really, what we did is we. Got- got rid of the deductibility for federal income taxes paid, which we're like one of two states that have it. So the other 48 states already never, you know, didn't have it. So, you know, it's not going to be like, oh, lots of people are going to be moving here because now we're like the other 48 states, right? It's, uh, you know, it didn't make sense to have it because it really tied you to that federal tax policy as a, on a state level. It didn't really make much sense. I think it was good tax policy. At the same time, The you know, the triggers, the triggers may be able to marginally lower the rates, which I think is a good thing. But you know, you're sitting right next to Texas. So right now we're at like maybe a 4.25% personal income tax rate, I think. And so, say you lower that to you know 4.2%, you're still sitting right next to Texas with zero. Florida's right down the road with zero. Tennessee is a few mile, you know, a few miles north of us with zero. So it's really not going to change the game. I mean, it makes it a little yeah. bit better. Um, And I think we have a lot of, it's not just the income tax rates, it's really the complexity of the tax code, because we have, you know, corporate franchise tax, we have an inventory tax, we have uh, corporate income tax, things are just, you know, really uncompetitive in the, not, not only in the region, but in the country. I mean, most people don't want to deal with a franchise tax, the inventory tax. I don't know. There's a few states that have that, but that's also really doesn't, actually doesn't even raise any money. It's really just a shell game between local governments that puts businesses in the middle. Um, so we really have a lot of problems beyond just the rate that we really need to address. And it's just been very politically difficult to do because, like I said, it was all set up for a reason to concentrate all the power of Baton Rouge. And then you're trying to get the people in Baton Rouge to get rid of it, right? So it's kind of a tough yeah. tough sell. And Representative Nelson, one of the things that I've been
0: looking at, is so I live in Texas. I live in Round Rock, Texas, just north of Austin, right? And, and yeah. I'm from Houston. Um, so I've been in Texas basically my whole life, except for that one year standout in, in D.C. And kind of di- diving into what's going on in Louisiana, It's like it's a different game. Politics is a game in some sense. Right. But in in Texas and a lot of other states, it seems to work where people can kind of work from the ground up. You know, for example, the governor of Texas, um, Governor Abbott, will release his budget. For the upcoming biennium, we 're on a biennial two year um, yeah. budget cycle it's kind of like the president's budget though it's more ceremonial it's it's a vision of where the leadership is now it 's going to be up to the House and the Senate to really form those budgets. But for what i 'm understanding more in Louisiana, it really is the Governor who sets the stage for what the budget's going to look like, and then it 's a matter of okay, where is the House and senate what What are the small little things they can do to tweak what the governor has already passed along is that is that kind of how
1: you see it, or is that the way that it is there, no, that's absolutely how it works. It's basically the governor sets a budget, says this is what we're going to spend the money on, and then the representatives and senators basically try to add as many splash pads and you know sports arenas with the leftover money as they can. Uh, that's basically how it works, and you know, I, as you can imagine, it's, it's not a great way to run a railroad. You know, I joke yeah. all the time about Texas is like, you know, so I say like our job in the legislature is basically to go and beg for the people's money back on a local level, right? Because we don't have any. And I was like, that doesn't happen in Texas because you guys aren't even there half the time, right? Every other, they're only there every other year. You can't go beg. The lights are off, right? So yeah, um, it's just kind of a it's a different mentality because really, you know, like I said, Huey Long really put this system in place where you got to come and you got to kiss the ring, and it's very difficult to break. And you know, it's most other states that are well run, I would say, don't have have the exact opposite of that system. Yeah,
0: no, that's a great point. And I wrote a piece here recently in the center square talking about, you know, the, the economy and what's going on in Louisiana and um, the American growth project. They actually ranked new Orleans as the ninth fastest growing city for 2022 um, and talked about how, you know, there's some of these worker shortages that could lead to um, even more room for growth in the future if that continues. But but I think, is that going to be long term? Or is that more of a microcosm of what's going on in New Orleans as things are coming back online after the pandemic and the shutdowns and everything else? Because then if you take a step back, though, and you look at measures um, like economic freedom of North America, uh, which is put out by the Fraser Institute every year, it was put out just a couple of weeks ago, we're recording this on November 28, 2022, They, they ranked Louisiana as the 20th most free state in the nation. It actually improved three spot, three places from 23rd to 20th. And they rank it based on government spending from a number of different shares, like government spending as a share of GDP and some other measures. Um, taxes, does it have you know income tax, no income tax? Uh, what's the burden as a share of GDP, things of that nature, Um, and then looks at labor market regulation, the minimum wage uh, or union density and things of that nature. And so that's what put Louisiana at 20th, which doesn't really sound that bad. I mean, it's ahead of the average, if you think about 25th being the average, but you're right in the sense of it's not just about Louisiana. It's also about competition. It's important about the system of federalism in America as this laboratory of competition that we have that allows for people to decide, okay, if I'm going to move my business, do I want to go to Texas where it has no personal income tax? Florida, no personal income tax. Tennessee with no personal income tax. Or do I, or I want to go to Louisiana uh, that does have this personal income tax? Um, and then just to put together the circle there, um, there's also a good um, index out there, the, the state business tax climate index by the Tax Foundation. And that one also shows that, uh, or has it ranked lower for Louisiana as the 12th worst, right? The, the 12th lowest in that sense of state business tax climate index. And I think that one is more indicative, at least in this sense of where businesses are wanting to go. Um, and so I think from your efforts and what you've seen there is you're really hitting on the head of what needs to be done is something's gotta be done about these taxes. And wh- so where do you think about some of the, the measures that are out there, but also where could we be heading that could really get you know, put Louisiana back up near the front? Because one, one last point here, um, Representative Nelson, is that Louisiana has so much going for it, right? It's got tourism, it's got natural resources. It's got great people, great culture. Like, so much is going. Like, is, is our taxes really the thing that's holding it back, or is there a combination of things?
1: Fundamentally, the tax structure is what's holding us back. I mean, I think yeah. uh, Louisiana, I, you know, I say all the time, you know, Louisiana has the most opportunity of any, uh, of any state in the country. Unfortunately, we've had the most opportunity for the last hundred years. And we haven't done anything about it, right? We mm-hmm. continue to squander it, and so I think if you can fix this problem, I mean, it really is, you know, I describe it as all the marbles. Like, if you if you can fundamentally restructure the tax system so that, you know, one you're incredibly competitive, you could be because the tax burden between Texas and Louisiana is almost identical. Like, it's almost yeah. identical. Like, the only the only difference is that. We don't do it. We don't do it very well. We have a very inefficient, convoluted system. Most people can't understand it. We have this giant system of credits and exemptions and rebates and everything that basically you have to go through all these hoops uh, in order to, to actually get to that you know equal tax burden. And so people just don't want to do that. They say, hmm. okay, well I'm going to move to Texas. And like you said, I mean, when you tax so when you tax something, you're disincentivizing it, right? So uh, income tax is really a tax on success. People can very easily pick up and move to Texas or pick up and move to Florida, pick up and move to Tennessee. Uh, and they do all the time. Like I have friends and family and everybody does that. have just said, you know what, we're going to move to Houston. We're going to move to Dallas. We're going to move to some place that doesn't. And they always go to these places without any income tax. And every time you read an article, it says, you know, they don't go into the, you know, there's 50 different index, indexes that I think measure all these different things. Like most people don't look at that. What they look at is, does it have an income tax, yes or no? And that's kind of a binary, you know, a kind of a binary driver of where they go. The rates, you know, whether the rate is within a point or two, they feel like it comes out in the wash. But when it's zero, they feel like, oh, well, this is something that I can do. And I think it's one of those maybe behavioral economics more than like actual economics, right? Because at the end of the day, I think zero is a much more attractive price to people even than like one. they They'll be like, well, I just don't want to do the paperwork. I mean, I spent 30 or $40 on TurboTax, and I don't want to deal with that, even if it's a little amount, you know.
0: It is nice not having to pay an income tax in, in Texas. I remember when I moved to Virginia for that year, I, I got my first check and I was like, what, what is this? <laughs> uh, state yeah. income tax where right? I hadn't had to pay that before. It's nice because it also gives you more liberty and more freedom when you don't have an income tax. You know, one of the things when the first income taxes were put in place, you know, thinking about it federally, um, was Lincoln during the Civil War. Uh, and yeah. then it went back to zero. Then they brought It up again, and then the cost you know, the the Supreme Court found it unconstitutional a couple times there. The income taxes were the 16th Amendment was put in place in 1913, but there was also the Federal Reserve Act in 1913 as well. There were two big changes to American history, um, that I I think kind of were were for the worse (laughs) that really caused more burdens overall. But those, you know, but there was a lot of conflict even then.
1: I mean, you can look at the charts of the growth of the federal government, like look at it from you know 1776 to 1913 and then look at it from 1913 to today. And you can yeah. see there's, a you know, obviously a, a very direct correlation between, I think it was like maybe 3% of GDP was federal spending, like basically back to the beginning. And then from 1913 on, I mean, now it's like 30% of GDP or something like that. So yeah, it's a huge amount of money. And really that income tax is really what allows them to do that. Uh, yep. I think yep. on a state level, on a state level, it's not, not the exact same problem, but it's very similar in that it's, uh, you know, I think it, it really is a tax on the most successful people. And especially in a, from a state perspective, like people can move out of the state. Like as a as a country, you're kind of trapped. Like most people don't leave. They're not like, I'm going to leave America, but they do leave Louisiana. And that's one of the things you have to look at when you're considering what it is, especially when you're right next door to Texas and right down the street from Florida. I, I
0: think when you're in, in speaking of that competition, Texas on the economic freedom, North America index ranks um, fourth highest. Um, Florida, uh, is ranked first in the, in the latest version. Tennessee is ranked right up there as well. So you have all these that rank very high with economic freedom in the, those terms of spending and taxes and, and the overall labor market regulation. And, and so it does send these incentives, signals, if you will, of where people should move. When it, whenever I look at economics, economics to me is a study of using a, a study, of, study of human action and interaction within institutions to satisfy our desires given scarce resources, right? And And I try not to think about it as how to fine tune an economy like Keynesian economics or even this modern monetary theory nonsense that's been going on. But it's really thinking about how humans behave and too often we get it into this more computational sort of exercise to figure out how can we optimize exactly how the economy is going to look and 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 for me and what my research and looking also at Milton Friedman and Frederick Hayek and Ludwig Lo- von Lo- 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 Mises have said it's it's more about taking government out of the way let them preserve liberty and do a couple of things in a limited role but otherwise they they really need to get out of the way and i think hopefully those are some of the lessons that we can learn from places like you know Texas which i think still has some Key reforms that need to be done um but for that to happen in louisiana so that people can prosper you know one of the things i see about louisiana is the unemployment rate's pretty low right i mean it's at a historic low right now right around 3.3 3.4 percent um but if you dig into the the data it's also because the labor force is declining and there's a net out-migration mi- of Louis- Louisianans who, that's saying, "You know what? We don't want to be here." And so when you when you have people that are moving out, and the labor force is going down, that also reduces the number of people that are unemployed, that can bring down the unemployment rate. And I think you were mentioning this earlier how people are leaving, you know, what else have you been hearing about that um within, you know, why are they moving or or where are they moving to? Yeah,
1: I mean, I think they leave they move for better economic opportunity, better job opportunities. I think it's almost it. You know, to the man, almost I think yeah. that that's where they what they're going for. um, you know, I think education education might be a problem sometimes, but people I don't think usually leave here for education. they might not may not come here because of our education system isn't that great. We have a lot of work to do on it, but I think generally it's they get a better job or they get a better opportunity or, you know, honestly, their company, they may even own the company and they say, I'm moving my company to Texas Mm. or to Florida because I'm tired of dealing with all this, all these taxes and, you know, I'm just tired of dealing with this mess here. Uh, I think that that is a huge, uh, I think that's really the major driver. Uh, Is just kind of the, you know, the, the business environment opportunity. They're they're trying to find, you know, kind of greener pastures, which are really not that far away.
0: What about in your district? What are some of the drivers of the economy? Is it more rural,
1: more urban? Tell us a little bit about your, your district. Yeah, so it's very suburban. I mean, it's suburban, uh, probably one of yeah. the wealthiest districts in the state. I mean, so really a lot of the problems, I mean, the, the, a lot of the problems here are really just kind of Louisiana. You know, the fact that we're in Louisiana and we are not able to control our own destiny with a lot of the things. I mean, this, the district itself is relatively wealthy yet. We don't have a lot of, you know, we don't have a lot, a lot of crime. We don't have, you know, a lot of poverty. We don't have anything. I mean, really it's a, you know, a lot of relatively high higher educated people. So, I mean, it really, the biggest, the, all, one of the biggest problems is that we just look at it and say, you know, should we move to Texas for better opportunity job opportunities? That's it. I mean, even if you make a pretty good living here in, in the North Shore of Lake Pontchartrain, it's kind of a suburb of New Orleans. We think, well, you know, at the same time, you know, I get a 20% raise if I move to Texas. And I mean, everybody loves We all love Louisiana. That's why we're here. Like, we don't want to move to Texas at all. Like, we don't want to move to anywhere else. What we want is the opportunity here. Uh, I think that's kind of the struggle that most of the people in my district, that's what they're facing all the time is, you know, I love Louisiana. This is where my family is. You know, this is everything that I love is here. But my economic opportunities might be so much better everywhere else. And that's, it's kind of the um, the dance that we do all the time of, uh, you know, at least my friends, you know, what, you know, would I have more opportunity there? Would I have to give up everything that I love to leave? You know, I love Louisiana. That's why I came back here. But I think that we need to do, we need to make these changes in order to have that opportunity here. So our kids don't have to make that decision. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, I think about it as the opportunity cost, right? Like, what do you give it up? It's the opportunity cost. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it really breaks your heart because you have all these, a lot of parents, like even in my district, that, like I said, it's very nice you know, very, very uh, educated and wealthy and everything else. And they say, they tell their kids when they go to college, like, go find a job outside of Louisiana. Like, Mm -hmm. don't come back here. Like, you can come visit, don't come back. And that just kind of breaks your heart that that is the situation that parents are telling their kids, you know, go find opportunity elsewhere. It absolutely is a tragedy. It absolutely should not be the case. One of the things that I work
0: on, along with the uh, Pelican Institute Public Policy, uh, but also the Georgia Center for Opportunity and the Texas Public Policy Foundation, it was called the Alliance for Opportunity. um, Mm -hmm. And- as you were talking there, one of the, the folks who are left behind are often the lower income folks because they may not have the same opportunities to just move to Texas or to another state. They're going to be the ones that are kind of stuck or trapped yep. within that situation. And, you know, we've done surveys and studies and done some research in this area. And, you know, a lot of people feel like they have all of these opportunities for different safety net programs, TANF, SNAP, WIC, all these things. But too often they feel trapped. Right. Like if they get a little bit more income, then they automatically lose more benefits. Um, in, in economic terms, we like to type, like to call it the implicit marginal income tax. If you gain yeah, a little yeah. more income, you lose income uh, on the other no, side. Medicaid.
1: You know? So, I mean, like Medicaid, yes. for example, is probably the biggest, the biggest example. Like I know, you know, businesses I work for, you know, people turn down raises because they don't wage employees. They don't they don't want to go over that fifty thousand or forty five thousand dollar mark where they lose. You know, basically, like a twenty thousand dollar a year health insurance. Like, they don't want to yep. make it, so they turn down raises. And uh, obviously, it's terrible policy. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what else is that. You can't have a you know, a, whatever, a two thousand percent marginal rate, right? So no, yeah, yeah, no, hey. it's real, it's real, and it drives people's decisions. And you think even you know, lower income people have you know the most you know they're they still act you know they they're, they still act in their own best interest. So they will turn down a raise because they know that their benefits will be cut if they do if they accept it and obviously that makes everyone else worse off. hmm That's that's right. And and you know, and there's that
0: benefits cliff. That's kind of what what's called an economics benefits yeah. cliff. And you it, it's pretty large overall and it seems like it's pretty large uh, amount also in in Louisiana and kind of gets people stuck in these certain situations where if we allow for more opportunities along the way, you know, broaden the horizons, reduce taxes, reduce government spending, reduce regulation, that you can really allow for more flourishing for businesses to pop up, for them to come back to Louisiana. And then it kind of builds on itself because then those individuals are, are also now um, more prosperous. They're gaining more income. They're able to uh, provide for their family, they get off of that dependency, because one of the the best way out of poverty, right, is a job. (laughs) <laughs> so we we ultimately need more jobs because jobs bring a job brings about more purpose more dignity uh, and more self sufficiency overall that helps them to live with what i believe are their god will you know their god given traits their gifts and everything else that's going to provide for them to flourish overall and i and I hope that we get to that place more um in Louisiana quickly you know kind of this comeback story is a lot of what pelican policy uh pelican institute has been talking about a lot, and we really want to get there quickly and i think that's that's one of the big drivers of why I wanted to talk to you today was about the income taxes system there and finding a way to cut it or eliminate it ultimately as much as possible. Um, recently, Representative Nelson, and I looked at the nine states without an income tax, right? So Texas, Tennessee, and mm-hmm. so forth. Um, the nine states that have had a flat income tax for a number of years now, there's five new states. So it's up to 14 uh, starting the next couple of years. And then the nine states with the highest personal income taxes. And as we might expect um, the states without a personal income tax have grown more in population, grown more in GDP, job growth, but even in revenue, which I'm not so excited about, but but that is a side effect of having a more robust economy is that that happens. And then, of course, the states with the flat income taxes do a lot better than the high personal income tax states as well. How could Louisiana really get to a flat income tax and then maybe even eliminating the personal income tax altogether? Because, of course, the key question is how do you make it revenue neutral yeah yeah Yeah. how do we fund it is what you're usually going to hear
1: yeah yeah no so i mean so the flat income tax i mean you could just you know change the you just change the rates or the the, you know where the where your uh, where your deduction limits are going to be standard deductions i mean you can kind of finagle that to just make that revenue neutral by just adjusting you know where you're going to cut it off and what you know what the brackets are Uh, or sorry get rid of the bracket doesn't matter but i mean we can just we can do it we could come up with a flat rate right now. I mean, if we just said we're going to keep the same to make it revenue neutral, uh just get rid of the brackets, but uh you know the real rub comes in where are you going to get rid of the inc- how you're going to get rid of the income tax. Uh, and that's that's the that's where you have to look, I think fundamentally at where Louisiana kind of falls up short compared to these other states. I mean, really most of the delta I think would come from property taxes because we have we have the highest uh we have the highest homestead exemption in the country, right? So it's $75,000 straight up like without any kind of qualifications on it, which means that it's about a third of the state pays absolutely no property tax at all. So, I mean, you really have a situation where, you know, you're walking down the street and every third house pays nothing. I mean, just in your mind. I mean, that's how it works. And it's just not a really great way to run a railroad. But it also is that those, you know, it's not distributed evenly over the state. So what you have is the poorer places, the poor parishes, you know, you have 75% or more of the property. It pays nothing at all. And so, Most of those places are pretty rural. They don't have a lot of sales tax, and so as a result of that, they have no way to fund themselves because they have no property tax base. They have essentially no sales tax base, so they're 100% dependent on state government to fund them and all their problems. And you can see these huge population uh, outflows from these areas. Like they lose, you know, all the congressional seats where everybody's leaving from. Um, That's where they're coming from, or that's where they're leaving. So it's it's kind of a fundamental problem. At the same time, we give you know some of the most generous tax breaks in the country to one like large nonprofit corporations and then also just large corporations like chemical manufacturers and stuff. They they get these you know huge tax breaks even compared to our neighbor in Texas uh, that are really kind of unnecessary. That's not really why they locate here. But for example, that it's called the Industrial Tax Exemption Program. Uh, it's about one and a half billion dollars a year is what we lose on that property tax exemption. And we compare that to like $4 billion for the income tax. So it's almost half of it just goes to like kind of a handful of corporations that really would be here anyway. And uh, we're looking at a, a scale of like almost half of the entire tax. Like you could really get rid of the corporate income tax. You get rid of the corporate franchise tax. You get rid of the personal income tax. And I mean, really, that would be much more competitive just across the board, especially in attracting new industries here versus kind of the legacy ones that we have and trying to focus on you know, the future instead of the past. What
0: do you consider to be like the ideal tax system? You know, if you were oh, king God. for a day and you came yeah. in and you said,
1: all right, this is the tax system we should have, what would it be? Yeah, I mean, I think it would be, I think similar to Texas where you would have a, you know, the local government dependent on a sales tax, combination of sales tax and property taxes, the state government that's funded through a, just a broad, a broad-based sales tax. Uh, along with you know some whatever the kind of general revenue you know we get revenue from gambling and some minerals and stuff like that too but i think that would be kind of the ideal setup uh, and no income tax no income tax no corporate income tax uh no corporate franchise tax they don't really raise that much money and they're very volatile so you can't really the corporate the corporate side they're very volatile so you can't really plan for them it's just as like either you know if you plan with them, then you end up One some years you don't have enough money and then if you plan if you don't plan with them, then you have a ton of money that just gets wasted. so I think they're not very stable source of revenue, and so I think getting rid of those corporate the corporate franchise and the corporate uh, uh income tax are good would be good and make us much more competitive and then the inventory tax, like we said before, is really just a pass through it's kind of a way for state government to fund local governments, which you'd rather them just be able to raise their money on their own and be accountable for it uh yeah. and I think that if you' made those changes. You really would have it much more. So I think even it would it would outcompete Texas. I think if you if you made some of these changes to Louisiana, I think you would even outcompete Texas, uh, and even you know Florida. Florida is a, is I think a similar animal. I mean that's kind of how they are run. But I think at the end of the day, uh, being in the same even in the same boat as as Florida and Texas, you would have Louisiana have the advantage of like kind of being the new you know the new place where you can say, hey, look, Austin is super expensive. Like, nobody wants to go there and pay super high rent. So guess what? You move to Louisiana, they just made all these giant tax changes. You know, there's relatively, uh, you know, available land and property and everything else. So you could kind of come here and this would be the new destination to kind of go and open your business and, you know, and grow, which I think everybody's kind of looking for. You can have companies in California and New York, like we said, are always trying to escape their their terrible taxation system. So uh, they would look at Louisiana, I think it's comparable to those other places, but it'd be kind of the new one. I kind of joke, I like to say Louisiana is kind of like Singapore, right? We could be like Singapore. It's like yeah. you know, kind of a swamp. I mean, we have a lot more resources than Singapore did, but really Singapore just has good government. I mean, good mm. government, low taxes, that's why people go there. Um, yep. That's what they like. You know, at the end of the day, we could have that same thing here in Louisiana with the exception of like we actually have oil and gas. We actually have a, a culture everybody likes. We actually have all these advantages that really we've used as a crutch on bad policies for most of our history instead of using them as advantages to get us ahead of everybody else. Mm. That's great. And great food. Uh, yeah, I mean, that, the food, I, I, you know, the gum, people love the gumbo, but they won't move their company here for the gumbo. That's the reality. Yeah. So.
0: Uh, yeah, yeah, it, you know. Um, now I think that that sounds good. And and in Texas, I mean, we have a franchise tax in Texas, uh, gross receipt style tax. Yeah. It's a terrible form of taxation. We yeah. always rank really low in a lot of those indexes. That puts us down there. And it's something that Texas should should eliminate. Uh, fortunately, we don't have a corporate income tax in Texas. Um, and a lot of people will say, "Well, look, you don't you don't have a, a personal income tax, so that's why you have such high local property taxes, right?" Which isn't really the case. You know, Texas does have a high property tax burden, according to the tax foundation of like the sixth most burdensome on residential homeowners. Um, but if you look at Florida, Florida ranks 26th on their property tax burden, and they don't have a personal income tax. Uh, if you look at Tennessee, they rank 36th in the property tax burden, and they don't have a personal income tax. So it really actually boils down to spending. You know, one of the things that you were talking about earlier on the revenue neutrality of uh, the kind of a, a swap, in some sense of trying to you know, get rid of the personal income tax, maybe put in um, a broader base sales taxes, get rid of some of the exemptions. If you raise the rate a little bit, you try not to though, because that pisses off a whole other set of, of people at the process. Um, but it's also focused on spending. You know, if we if we really looked at spending, and this is where I've done a lot of research too on you know Texas local governments and education has been spent a lot more than Florida and Tennessee, which, Raises our property taxes higher than otherwise, and are we really getting the outcomes for that increase in spending? Um, the, re- the the data don't show, show that. <laughs> Is that we really well, should be focusing? I on I can spending.
1: make you feel better about yourself if you okay. want to tell you, you know, Louisiana spends twenty percent more than Texas does, so <laughs> yeah. we have worse outcomes. So I mean, I don't know if that makes you feel any better about it. But, <laughs> maybe, uh, maybe a little bit.
0: Maybe a little bit there. There's a lot. What, it, what do you think? What do you think that fits into all this on spending restraint
1: as as part to the solve the problems? Yeah. I mean, I think that at the end of the day, you know, it's difficult. So like I said, just in education, right? So basically the entire income tax, the entire personal income tax take that the state rate that the state takes in goes to fund education. It just goes out to local school boards to spend uh, like the entire the entire income tax. And we spend 20 percent more on education per student than Texas or Florida or any, you know, um, Mississippi, all these, all of our neighbors, we spend about twenty percent more. I don't. Where does it go? Because I mean, our real results are are worse, honestly, than all of them. So, uh, at the end of the day, though, you're going to have to fight. You, you, to, if you say, "Hey, we're not going to do it," uh, my program to get rid of the income tax would actually put that back on the locals to fund. Like, would would not all of it, but a portion of that, like thirty percent or so, reduce the state portion of that funding and say, "Hey, the locals will have to make up that difference, uh, mostly through property taxes or sales taxes, whatever they have left." The sales tax right now in Louisiana is really high. So you have to broaden the base of that to make it possible anyway. Um, but at the end of the day, I think those kind of spending cuts from state government, I, you know, I would rather that shift to local government. I would rather the local government take up those, take up those burdens. Because what it looks like now, like we were talking about earlier, is it's kind of just like manna from heaven, right? Like they kind of look at it as we're getting all this money and we can do with it what we want. And it's the state's, the state's giving it to us. But really it's just their taxpayer money that they're getting to a kind of roundabout mm-hmm. way. And so I would rather that money be raised locally. And so some of those spending cuts would have to happen, especially on the state level, because that's how you that's how you are able to eliminate the income tax and shift it back to the locals. But um, I think that there's also, like I said, Louisiana spends a lot of money on, like, splash pads. Like, we spend, mil- like, hundreds of millions of dollars a year. Every year we have a surplus, we spend all the money on splash pads and sports arenas and a bunch of stuff that is absolutely not a priority but we spend the money anyway, because that's kind of how the system works. That's how people try and get reelected the legislature by doing all these kind of little pet projects. And so eliminating that system, I think would make it much more efficient. And I think reduce a lot of that spending just off the bat because it just wouldn't happen anymore.
0: Yeah, yeah, that, that makes sense. I mean, a lot of the rent seeking, right? Uh, you get the rent seekers out there, and they got to win votes at some some level.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's it. I mean, like that's kind of the game. I mean, in reality, uh, you know, in Louisiana, we don't really argue about policy in the capital. Mostly, the policy arguments are a sideshow. But what we're really doing is fighting to get money back. Right, it's just fighting to bring the money back to our district. Like that's the whole game, and it's just really. It's a really inefficient way of managing government. That's a, the reality, uh, and we really should be focusing on how we how do we grow the pie instead of all fighting over our increasingly shrinking pies. What we do now.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, the other thing you're doing that's that's so great is fighting to get money back into people's pocket. You know, it's not trying to bring stuff necessarily back to your district, but you're bringing it back to the taxpayer, which is ultimately where we want it to be. We want more money in the pockets of taxpayers so they can put food on the table, they can take care of their kids, they can start their own business and be entrepreneurial and all those things. And, And 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 but that is important to have folks like you that are liberty focused, that are pro growth minded, that are really saying, you know what, government's already too big. We we need to be restraining government. It's one of the reasons why. I'm such a huge fan of spending limits. Um, I've been trying to focus on this a lot, you know, kind of the Colorado's taxpayer bill of rights, Um, Texas passed the stronger spending limit in 2021. That's based on all government, uh, all general revenue. Um, It's based on population growth and inflation as the maximum. um, And it has a, Uh, three-fifths majority vote from both chambers in order order to exceed it. Um, But the problem then right, still is that the base where you're starting off is already so high to allow it to grow at that rate. Um, That's really got to be a maximum. It should be less than that. And if you restrain spending, you could have a lot more in tax relief available. One of the numbers I like to throw out there, Representative, is that if the federal government Ah, uh, the last 20 years has has racked up um, 17.7 trillion dollars in national debt. 17.7, almost half, just in the last 20 years. Um, actually, sorry, uh, more than half, uh, just in the last 20 years. If they would have matched population growth plus inflation over the last 20 years, it would have been a one trillion dollar surplus. We would have we would have switched it from a deficit to a surplus um, and actually reduce the national debt from where it was today. And you can see that in a lot of other states. Texas has spent more than that. They've done better over the last four budget periods. Louisiana is the same same way. But if we could just start to restrain spending, it would allow us to have more money in people's pockets and break down a lot more of those barriers so that we could help those who are really in in need and, and that sort of thing.
1: Yeah, I mean, the question it comes down to is is this question of incentives, right? Like, Mm -hmm. there's no incentive, essentially, for a politician to ever cut spending. Like, there's no incentive. Like, whether on a state level or a national level, like, voters don't care. Like, you don't go home and say, I saved you $50 million. They don't care. All they ever talk about is how much did I spend? How much money did I bring home? That's it. And I mean, it's unfortunate that's the case. And it's kind of one of the, you know, one of the the challenges, I think, in a democracy is that you have to find a way to incentivize politicians to actually say hey we actually need to be have a sustainable you know low low debt like don't spend every dime you can uh, but in reality you know honestly so I had an amendment um, uh, an amendment yeah an amendment this year to basically pay off we have a, a 20 like a 20 billion dollar unfunded liability right from the pension systems mm-hmm. and so Every we have it, and it's basically financed at like seven and a half percent interest, right? So it costs us like one point three billion dollars a year in interest on this amount. And so I tried to get this this passed, and I got it through the house. And I go to the Senate, and I was like, "Look, we save so much money by every dollar that we pay off of this pension system because we're it's like on a credit card. We put $20 dollars $20 on a credit card, right? And so I was like, "We save so much money." And I said, "Well, it, you know, if it we compounds, save, it like yeah, compounds, it, yeah, right? it's yeah. compound interest. It saves you ten times over over ten years, right? And I was like, "So." If we spend this, if we put, put this extra money that we have this year on paying off this debt, like we'll save so much money in the long run. They'll be, And they they literally told me, well, we're not gonna be here. And mm-hmm. how are we gonna spend this money on these pro? We need to spend money on our projects. We don't need to spend it on this. When you got, they're like, when we're gone, you guys can do whatever you want. But right now, like we wanna spend the money on our projects. We don't wanna tie it up moving forward. It was just surplus money. So it's just like extra, after you already did the budget, you could have paid this debt down and been in such a better place because it saves you, like, like I said, you know, nine times over the next 10 years because mm-hmm. of the compound interest. But it just yeah. – there's short-term thinking is in all of – I mean, that permeates all politics. And it's unfortunate. Yeah. I, maybe my, my argument is that's why you need more young people in politics is because, sure. you know, I care about the next 40 years, not the next four. You know, I'm going to be paying the debt for the next 40 years. I, you guys can spend all the money, but that's great. But I'm still going to be here paying off the bill. Uh, so yeah. I care about it. That's
0: exactly right. And, and not only us, but also our kids, uh, you know, yeah, young yeah. young kids are going to be paying for this years over time. It's, it's really a redistribution, right? It's a redistribution um, from today what we want compared to what people in the future are going to have to pay. And it's almost, it's immoral in many ways of that you're putting the burden on someone else that's not even getting any benefits out of that right now. It's a, it's a tough situation that I hope we can overcome. And there are a lot of, I'm glad you brought that up. I mean, there's a lot of pension problems across the nation. Um, Texas has it. California has it big time, uh, but most have it. And at the federal level, we've got our social security and Medicare problems. I mean, there's some major unfunded liabilities that are moving forward. Um, With the legislative session that's coming up there in Louisiana next year, what are some of your key priorities that
1: you really hope that would uh, let people prosper? I'm going to bring the bills. uh, I'm going to bring some bill to eliminate the income tax, some version of it. I brought it in 2021. I'm going to update it. I think we're going through a series of kind of legislative hearings to kind of flesh out some of the details. And I'm going to uh, bring another, like I would say, an updated, new, and improved version of my 2021 bill this year, um, which I, you know probably won't pass, but I think it will set the stage for I think for the conversation that we need in order to get it. But maybe we'll pass, and I can just retire and go home, and I don't have to worry. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I <it> can always <laughs> nice. be hopeful. I brought some. I brought a bill last year to uh, basically improve elementary literacy. So third graders, if you can't read in third grade, that you would be held back and given intensive remediation so that you can learn how to read instead of. What we do now is just pass them forward until so they you know, basically drop out of high school because they can't read. And so it's a huge problem in Louisiana. I think about 50% of elementary kids can't read on grade level. Uh, that was a bill that I brought last year and just narrowly failed in the Senate kind of on the last day. So I'm going to bring that one up again. I think that's really important. I'll probably bring a few more educational bills. I think you know, that's a that's a big thing. I mean, I have three little kids that are all kind of in public school. So it's a, you know, a very important and pertinent issue for me. And I think that it's a pertinent issue in the state in general. Uh, like I said, I kind of look at fundamental issues. I feel like the tax system is a fundamental is a fundamental issue. And then also the uh, uh, education system. You know, if kids can't read. They're not going to you know, they're it drives up crime. You know, they're not going to get a lot of good jobs. You know, they're not going to go to college. All these things that really drive, uh, you know, success in life you can't read you're not going to it's not going to happen for you. So, it's really one yeah. of these things that you can fundamentally address. Now, like I said, we already spend 20% more than anybody else. We don't have a we don't have a money a lack of money no. problem in Louisiana on education. Like it's totally where we spend the money and, you know, how we prioritize it that we need to look at. Um, and so that's those are the two main focuses. I'll probably bring my pension bill again because I think that that's just really something we need to look at and we have a it's a 2017 billion dollar debt the deficit and that are uh, uh, unfunded liability. And that was before, you know, kind of the crash this year. So I don't I don't know yeah. what it's going to be. I haven't looked at the updated numbers yet, but it's it's probably going to be still significant. I think that's a big long term problem that we have to address. Uh, and then, you know, I tried to legalize marijuana in 20. Uh, what was it 2021? I think mm-hmm. it's, uh, 2021 I tried to legalize marijuana in Louisiana. I think that recreationally for adults, I probably might do something about that again. I think that that's. That's kind of a um, you know just an issue that I think economically makes the most sense. Uh, we, I told them when we did it, they they were all, basically the argument came down to like, well, you know, what are we going to spend the money on? We need to study what we're going to spend the the tax money on. It's like, look, this is the only tax people are begging to pay, right? Like it's the only one. And so at the end of the day, it's 150 million dollars a year, give or take, in Louisiana that we would have made. And you're like, so we didn't pass them in 2021, so. Honestly, that cost us 300 million dollars. Was it worth waiting another two years? And eventually it's going to happen. I think even all the opponents of it think it's going to happen, uh, even Louisiana, they just say it's only, well, it's just a matter of time." And you're like, "Well, what is the opportunity cost of you know, continuing to send that money to drug dealers and drug cartels instead of putting in legitimate businesses and taxing it to you know, fix our schools and roads and police and everything else? So uh, I might bring something on that this year, too. We'll see.
0: Nice, nice, Uh, good. Like I said, pro growth and liberty focused. Uh, agenda. That's, that's going to be so important. And you know, I, I think that one of the things, part of the comeback story for Louisiana too, will just make sure that spending constraints there. Uh, and I'm going to be helping out working on some spending limit bills as well, but uh, hope to work with you someone on eliminating the income tax. I think that that's so important of removing that obstacle of the the disincentive to be productive and work and just earn a living. I mean, it, it shouldn't have a tax on income at all. So I think that's gonna be really important. Um, some, some other things too, you know, the the school choice. One of the things that's been almost a year of school choice right now with Arizona is universal school choice of education savings accounts, a big push there. Um, The flat tax revolution that's going on. Going back to our, kind of our key theme here is this laboratory of competition that's out there is, that Louisiana and others don't need to get left behind because a lot of these other states are going to be more and more competitive given the flat tax revolution given the universal you know education savings account the school choice that's happening that's where people are going to want to move that's where businesses are going to want to be because they're going to have the the best place to to flourish overall and so I I'm, I'm glad to see that you're continuing to push the envelope of these key reforms um and I and I hope that you will continue to do that Uh, Moving forward. Any, any other last words that
1: you'd like to leave us with? No, I appreciate it. I mean, I think that honestly, like I said, Louisiana has the most opportunity of any state in the country. And I think it's just time that we actually do something about it. And, it's going to take big changes to make it, to, to, to close those gaps. I mean, like I said, four years and 33% raise, like that's a big, those are big numbers that aren't going to be addressed by rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic, which is what we normally, you know, focus on.
0: Well, thank you so much for what you do. Um, God bless you and your family and, 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 everything else. I look forward to talking to you more soon. Um, thanks to the audience for joining us today. Please rate us as a five-star, if you will, that'd be great. Uh, and, and we'll have another one out here soon. Again, my name is Dr. Vance Ginn. Let people prosper.